0: Yeah, James is from Barton Normal and the other design and uh, talking about models of growth, so over to you. Right, thanks ever so much and thanks uh, to two speakers or three speakers actually from earlier on. We've heard so far tonight all around sort of the, almost the minutiae of growth right down from sort of pavings, paving stones uh, through to specific uh, sites within the, within the context of existing places the group that I'm looking at is primarily focused on, on new settlements and the, and the small piece that, that we put together for um, the urban design group edition, um, urban design quarterly back in the winter was looking at um, sticking with the topic of market towns but looking in the context of, of whether the, the, the metaphor of a new market town was an appropriate mechanism for, for driving growth in the UK. And there are several reasons why we think that is the case. But before I can really go into any sort of detail around how we think that might work as a, uh, as a sort of a vehicle or as a mechanism, we have to get a little bit bigger. And the reason we have to get a little bit bigger is that most people aren't talking about market towns at the moment. Everybody at the moment is assessed with, um, with garden cities. You know, political parties of all persuasions are talking about, about garden cities. And up until now, uh, these have sort of largely hit the buffer. Only sort of very, very recently Have the government government given any ground. You've seen recent announcements by uh, Evs fleet uh, coming forward, where where Eric Pickles has sort of given a little. But up until now, he's been the main. Um, antagonists, saying, you know, we're not going to have these primarily because the locations that people identify seem to kind of pop up in, in the Tory heartlands or sort of near Whitney, Dave Cameron's constituency or, or places like Gerard's Cross as, as, as well. Um, and of course, all the euphoria around the, the Wolfson Prize, for example, I mean that, we believe that, that that's a mechanism that's been developed to take the, the heat out of the sort of, um, the, 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 or the wind out of the sails of, 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 of where has the government prospectus gone on, on Garden Cities that was mooted as, as earlier as as, um, uh, as, as November 2011. So we're kind of juggling this, this issue around, well, are garden cities the right model or are there better models? Um, but as I said, we have to look big. And the reason why we have to look big is because of some of these numbers. And I'm not, a, I'm not really a numbers man, but there are, some of the numbers on, on, on this slide, I, I, I had to go and double-check this. I thought 5.8 million new households by... Um, Twenty, thirty-three. 30. I've got the maths wrong there. That, surely that, that that can't mean households. You know, that's got to be individuals or something. like That no, I've gone back, back to the back to the census data, back to the population statistics, and this is borne out of the latest two thousand and eleven statistics as well, um, or two thousand and thirteen statistics, and that still holds ground. And that, they're talking about um, two hundred and thirty-two new households per year. Being formed, and when you start to multiply that up and take it all the way forward, as we've done there to 30, 2033, that's a really, really big number. And you know, how are we going to reach that number through the sort of incremental, the infill growth that we just heard about in the previous presentation? My particular view is, you know, we're not we're going to fall well, well short if that's our if that's our strategy. So small scale growth in isolation, of course, this is not a one. There's no one size fits all solution. Small scale growth just can't be the answer. And, and this pretty simple slide, just takes that 5.8 million dwellings and shows you, well, you're talking Greater London plus Manchester, plus Leeds, plus Reading up there, which is the largest town in in the country, which is not a a city. Pull all that together, got to have all that again by 2033, which is pretty, pretty scary stuff, really. So again, going back to that sort of second side of the politician saying, "It's my idea to have a new city." Is, is do we have a consensus around new cities, for example, in the UK? Are they? Is there a common ideal about what that about what they mean and what design standards they should perhaps relate to? You know, we've seen uh, uh, examples, Brasilia. Um, you know, what potentially uh, grandiose Cubazier uh, planning can bring to a place when you start trying to bring an enormous city from scratch uh, in, into being. But if we start to look at our towns and cities in the UK, we've quite, we, we quite quickly, with the exception of some of the new towns, reach the conclusion that n- none of them were developed from scratch. Well, I mean, they were at some point in history, but they were never planned comprehensively from scratch. They all evolved out of other settlements. They evolved out of different reasons. This, this recent phenomenon of housing growth being the driver for new places... Is, 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 is a recent phenomenon, it's been, it's been defence, it's been geography and geophysical aspects that have resulted in, and, and uh, driven the, the settling of places over history. And we, we, we're sort of forgetting a lot of, that aspects, of those aspects in the moment. You know, I, this adage that Rome wasn't built in a day, fair enough, but it wasn't planned in a day either. So this, I think we forget about that aspect of that. You know, this is much bigger, this is around the creation of places and the building blocks that are going to support those places. Uh, and i want to get down to understand you know going back to the minutiae of place and the, and the key elements of that but what what are the things that you have to get right and are there uh replicable models that you could you could sort of expand upon and use these then as the building blocks of places the sort of a lego of our profession if you like but before we can do that we, we've still got to get to da- tackle this issue of scale i mean i a little bit off, off message here, but we had this, um, this session at New London Architecture with uh, Lord Wolfson on the Wolfson Prize, and somebody mm-hmm. asked him the question, well, how, how big is a city? You know, What's your definition of a city? So he said, it's the commonly understood definition of a city, dodging the question. Well, there is, there is no sort of commonly understood uh, definition of, of city, but what we know is when we're sort of comparing a number of places, in, and in fact, all of these are, are in fact, um, well, the first two here are, 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 are sort of towns. The first one here, Ebsleet. Isn't probably even yet a place yet. It's all sort of emerging as a place. But that red square that you see on, this, on the on the on the on the uh, screen there is a nine by nine kilometre, eight thousand one hundred hectare square, which uh, Lord Wilson suggested was the size of our new garden city, and that we needed four of those of two hundred thousand uh, homes apiece uh, that would sort of meet part of our housing in general. Although from the figures I've shown you before, even that is still just a sort of a small perspe- um, element of that, but. How does that relate to places such as Letchworth, which is, which is, you know, you might consider it a sort of a new market town, possibly, in terms of it's been a place created from scratch. Um, but places such as Edgley, recently announced, you know, it's just a very, very small blip in the context of just one of these, which still doesn't go all the way to meeting anything like our um, housing growth needs. And then sort of putting this in a little bit sort of more context as well. I mean, St Davies there over in Wales, is, which, which only had its city status restored in, in, in 1994 at behest of Her Majesty. Um, but is, is the smallest city that we have in, in the UK. let not a city although it calls itself a city Reading, the largest town there. We've got a sort of huge um, uh, diversity of scale here so, so at the moment we're trying to address an issue about saying we need new cities we need new towns but we haven't got a common consensus around the scale of what those places actually need to deliver on and I think we need to have a debate about that as well. These are awfully fuzzy some of these slides, they look very nice on my on the laptop here, for apologies for that. Um, Even the largest of our our new towns, uh, Milken-Keynes, is still yet only a town at 250,000 inhabitants, although it has aspirations uh, to become uh, become a city uh, in the future and an economic strategy to deliver on that as well. So we've gone back to sort of looking at some of our best-known and and treasured places as well, and and give some consideration to how these places evolved as well, and we've we've seen examples of growth in some of the, the towns Uh, that we've been looking at earlier on tonight as well. And although this only starts very late in the history of London, at 1840, and of course we're talking about uh, millennia of growth in in our our capital city, um, the acceleration of that growth over a relatively recent period of sort of less than 200 years is nonetheless phenomenal. When you drill down and look at how that's actually composed, you see that actually London itself (coughs) is a city of villages. You know, it's a well-known, much-publicized statement that London is a city of villages, but it, but, it, but it genuinely is. I mean, one of my key clients happens to own two of the um, pieces of, sort of prime real estate, previously known as the Five Fields, uh, in London, and will tell stories of how when Kensington was a village and that they drained the land, and eventually these various places coalesced. But what's interesting about London and the growth of, of London as a place is that the villages have their own identity. Clearly, over time, they would have been competitive, but now you have this very sort of uh, happy equilibrium of different places, different centres with their own roles and characteristics. In the recent, most recent phenomenon, probably the Old Street Roundabout isn't a good example of that, how the cities evolve over time. But it's, what it really has evolved as is a city of neighbourhoods. And that—that that is my sort of core message, really. It's around taking the neighbourhood as, as the key element of growth and understanding what... what What's the essence uh, at the heart of a neighbourhood? How, how, how do you set that really as the driving force for growth? So in order to address that, we've sort of had a look at some of the different aspects of, of, of city form and, and, and urban form. Um, the, the top left example there is the garden city. That, 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 that's Welland. Um, which ended up being sort of, you know, you remember Howard's plan, of course, which had everything uh, in the middle, and it was only ever shown as a diagram. And, of course, it's been stretched and pulled a little bit according to, to context. So what the question mark is, well, does that, does that work as a piece of, of urban form wherein neighbourhoods effectively, collectively, could grow around uh, and form a, a replicable model? And the next one there is the new town. That's Harlow there, so Gibbard's plan... Lots of fragmented areas of green, actually not particularly walkable distances into the town centre, lots of segregation around that, albeit quite a lot of sort of neighbourhoods in name at least, not necessarily in function though. And then going back to the sort of topic of this evening, the bottom left one, that's the market town. But that's the historical market town with the mantle of urban extensions that we've just seen in Anthony's presentation around the edge. Set, us, set at distances away from the walkable, sort of the middle of, of, the, of those places as well. And quite often uh, protected by, then a, by a further mantle of, of, of greenbelt as well, you know, preventing all of that future growth. So we've taken a slightly different model and we said, well, clearly the notion of walkable centres is, is, is well researched, well practised, well respected as a model as well. Um, but what if, rather than sort of parachuting in new settlement forms into, the, into a, a very precious landscape that we have in the UK, that we, we go back to this model of the, of the trusted model of the market town, and we can't even claim um, to, to sort of invented this idea ourselves. I mean, gosh, I mean, how could we? But there was a particular project that we were working in down in, in Sussex, uh, where the local authority had a growth requirement of some 8,000 or so units, and it was a classic scenario where there was a site over here and they were having a knocking, knocking a site over there, etc. as well. And, and the councillors had the, the wherewithal to say, well, what people really value in this area of Sussex is the, are the market towns. We all, we all agree that, that that's a trusted form of growth, it's recognised, we understand what it means. You know, despite all the rhetoric around garden cities, if you were to ask the average person on the street, you know, where are the garden cities or what are the characteristics of garden cities? They wouldn't know, and I was, I was even as, as, as cheeky as to state in the article for the magazine that I was at a, at a design council event and uh, a practitioner asked the same question and, and the panel couldn't actually answer what is a garden city in terms of the design criteria around that as well. So I don't think those are necessarily the most trusted forms of development even though they might be sort of dressed up as leafy avenue areas where, uh, where they, some of the members of the government think of wants want to live. But market towns, undoubtedly, are trusted. They are, they're not also a, 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 a model limited to the UK. The, the, the work that, that some of the practitioners that I'll go on to refer to in a moment look back to, in terms of across Europe as a whole, were well, virtually all originally market towns as well. It's, it's, a, it's a universal model for, for growth, and a universal model for, 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 for trusted growth. And the reason for that is because it came into being for, for, for genuine reasons, for, for trade and, in, and interaction as well. However, we still feel that plonking a whole load of market towns around the UK simply because we've called them market towns is probably not the the correct solution. So we've looked at this notion of the sort of polycentric approach, going back to how London has evolved as a city of villages and saying, could could we work on a polycentric look at a number of villages coming forward? You've still got the quantum of growth to deliver on your infrastructure because you're doing it all together. Um, but you're doing it in a much more sort of softer, integrated fashion with the landscape, you know, working with topography or the various constraints. And those individual centres, of course, can all be um, walkable, and they may sort of have a little bit of sort of wrangling between the two as to which is the most competitive of those which becomes sort of the true centre. And the model starts off by suggesting that the, the heart is productive and allotments and all that sort of wonderful stuff that we like to talk about, but the reality of how we deliver that and whether produce from there really ends up on those tables is another question, so that might end up being a, a development in the future, but the point is you deliver the quantum and the mass first to support, to support that, not the other way around. One of my biggest bugbears is, that the, is, is the agent who tells me, or the retail assessor, that I can only put a laundis and, a, and, a, and, a, and you know, possibly some kind of, sort of pub into my sort of 5,000 scheme master plan because the retail capacity isn't there to deliver that. Well, we're starting the wrong way if that's the if that's the strategy that we're taking. So this just kind of really goes to sort of break down why we think that that pattern of growth works. We're not saying that the kind of classic radial form doesn't work. We're simply saying, in the respect of the quintessential British landscape, it's more difficult to put that into a specific place unless you have that cohesive singular land ownership. The good thing about the polycentric model is that it also responds to differences in land ownership as well. It's more flexible as a model. If you can't get that parcel, you just rotate the model around and you find the next parcel to work better as well. And although, it, I mean, technically, it could still work as a grid. Those aspects are not necessarily um, exclusive. Um, and then the way that that grows up, and we have done, we've done work. We've actually with with Baxter's upstairs on this. Uh, and we believe that it is an infrastructure-like model. There are certain criteria for where you would necessarily locate market towns of this description. Uh, And one of the key criteria is access to existing infrastructure. There are various sort of overlays between access to existing infrastructure, proximity to uh, economic drivers, um, lack of environmental constraints, etc. And if you do a sort of sifting exercise of that, these places almost um, reveal themselves as to where they should be located. A lot of them tend to sort of pop up in the green belt, which is something of an irritation. Um, but don't see that as an environmental constraint by by any means. That's that's solely a planning constraint, and that can be dealt with more easily. But it, it can be dealt with as well. So the notion is to build up your place out of several of these centres. And this is, I mean, although the model as a whole is, is is scary for the industry in terms of house builders, it's it's quite attractive to the to the bigger promoters who say, well, we'd like to get in early. We we have a we have a history of. Of, of, of holding land and, and of land stewardship, so we also think it's a it's a model that particularly resonates well with some of the landed estates, and we've been working with a number of those to take this forward um, as a development as well. But the notion is it's several centres built up over time, and and this is perhaps not the best image. This is, this is something we did in Studio Go West um, for the Harlow North suggestion, but the, the notion here is really just around the neighbourhood as the building block of that. Now, and the neighbourhood itself could also be synonymous with the, with the town centre. Um, you've got to start that somewhere and getting something at the heart of that town centre is, is absolutely uh, paramount. And that's why we went back. And this is why I asked that question of, of the good folk at the Design Council and hey, was did they understand the principles of the garden cities? Um, and, and in order to, for me to understand this myself, not only have to, I don't have to read Howard, but I had to read um, Unwin, who obviously... Um, designed Letchworth as a place and had his own ideas, he in turn, of course, had gone back to to Sitter, who who had examined almost every historical urban centre uh, in in Europe and and, and determined how those had evolved as places as well. Um, And this started to reveal reveal to us more of those sort of building blocks behind what you needed in a neighbourhood, what you needed um, in order to create a, a, a true place. So... Whilst they're, they're sort of slightly chocolate boxy in terms of the imagery from Letchworth here, you know, they worked on uh, models of architectural proportion and, and fenestration. They, they set up specific sequences of streets and, and views. These were ha- harmoniously designed places. That, that marriage of art and design together was very, very important. And I haven't really seen any of the commentators to date, in respect to Garden Cities, really sort of talking about those factors um, uh, 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 as driving elements. And this is just a scheme that we, we have worked on where we started to, to challenge ourselves to say if we're thinking about compositions of streets and spaces, I mean, it's not far removed from design coding, admittedly but we're starting to think about the compositions rather than the minutiae of the block. thinking of the composition of the streets and the, the setback and the gables and what really matters as places. And that's how the architects of the garden cities approach their, their, their towns as well. But where it comes back to market towns, and in fact to old market towns as well as new market towns, is this notion of the sense of getting the center right. Um, I would take issue with too much investment in high quality paving materials at the cost of the vibrance and the activity within the center of of towns um, and villages. The key, the way that I see this at least, is that the marketplace needs to develop um, before the the market, if you like, in terms of the property market, believes that it's there already. You need to demonstrate belief in the place. And there have been developments in the states, particularly um, through um, Congress of New Urbanism, places such as seaside, but later than that as well, that have this kind of notion of pop-up culture. very light touch, tin frame, tin roof structures to get the notion of sort of activity into the marketplace, put your money into that. If that works, then you can get the rates, et cetera, to, to put the investment back into your center, but get that activity in there first. And if it's left an old uh, market town, then put your investment back into that again first in order to, to get that working again as well. And that allows them for sort of gradual intensification of place. And there's a commentator, uh, Steve Muzon, I don't know if you know him, he's a uh, Miami-based uh, Uh, chap uh, was in practice, and he worked on a, to use the Americanism, DPZ uh, master plan of Sky in Calhoun County in Florida, and he was given a couple of parcels to look at, and and he knew that the end phase of this place would be quite dense and quite developed, but at the outset, that wasn't really going to happen, the interest wasn't there, the market wasn't there, so he said, well, what mechanism can you develop to allow for the gradual intensification of places as well? And the, and the notion is really around creating streets, uh, not parcels. So, so they would allow um, developers to come in and put in, at a low cost, low density schemes, getting the sort of the key buildings right in, in, into a place. And that there would be some kind of clawback, some uplift in the, in, where they would have to pay again if they wanted to densify those plots in, in, the, in, the, in the next term. So just sort of clicking through the process, you start to put in the back streets, um, you know, in the States, they work with the notion of the transect T1 to T5, which is talking about urban versus sort of rural scenarios and different densities in between. If you don't know about it, you can look it up. Um, and they sort of go through this process of each time that one of these blocks intensifies, um, that there's some payment made back then to the landowner as well. Um, but the place is evolving almost as historical places evolve, rather than, as we see in the UK, a single developer or householder coming in, building in that parcel, everything looks reasonably similar. Um, the streets are all designed the same, there's very little richness, there's a very little mixed use because nothing has really facilitated the delivery of that. This is a different approach. Um, and that's sort of the eventual end point then as part of that process then as well. And, and this, is a, this is a couple of examples, and I know they don't look like too much really, um, but you've got to start somewhere. So this is... Um, St. Charles New Town in uh, in Missouri, and again, I mean, they, they just put these little sort of timber shacks there. They don't, look, I mean, that's how they were sort of on, on sort of day one when the sort of street is functioning. They didn't actually look too bad. And then there's a couple of brick bit buildings when they're in the process of replacing this, It's just the process they went through at Seaside as well. So you're 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 building your, your, your centre um, from the from the middle outwards, but you're creating this notion of of of, of market through sort of low cost structures, you're allowed for gradual identification over time. And I suppose this is sort of one of the closest mechanisms that I've identified, certainly, in terms of identifying mechanisms for um, systemized organic growth, if that's not an oxymoron, which I'm sure it is. Um, um, but that's effectively what we're trying to do. We're trying to sort of say how places evolved over time, get in the richness of those places, get in the vitality of those places, but identify systems to deliver that um, as, as well. And just a sort of few sort of final slides, really. Um, you know, key messages coming out um, of Unwin, this notion of the city beautiful, making the place beautiful. Um, there are lots of uh, opportunities for sort of me- um, modular construction, for example, uh, in the UK, all the house builders use it, etc. as well. Why not craft that to local apprentice programmes? You know, when we take about our budgets, for example, for public art, instead of carving some sort of great like, six-foot hedgehog in the, in the woods with a chainsaw, you know, put that into the brackets, into the door surrounds, into the structures as well, and get that notion of, 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 sort of modular, or of craft, moulded into sort of modular places as well, so the city does become beautiful again. That, that notion that I talked about as streets as pictures, the whole concept of those as well, pop-up centres, markets, and, and doing all of this, having the watchword of simple sustainability as well, you know, not trying to overcomplicate this in terms of, sort of wearing your eco-bling on your sleeve as well. So our model, in conclusion, then, for the, for the, for the new market town is something that's it's got to be resilient. It, it, it takes a small nucleus of growth to allow for flexibility, whether that's in policy, uh, whether that's in terms of land ownership, helps change that over time. Um, but importantly, it's got to be designed around walkable neighbours that are connected and, given time, can become market towns, but could also become cities over time as well. Thank you. Thank you.